You are listening to the oneofus.net podcast network. And I know it has been a very short period of time since the last Digital Noise. You know what? It just shook out that way this week. It feels like it was only yesterday. Well, I think it was yesterday. It, it, it may have been. I'm not even sure what I'm – this will probably be separated by like two days. So, <laughs> <laughs> But Marco is back in the rotation again here. I am indeed. Welcome back to me, I guess. Yeah, welcome to, Yay to me. you. <laughs> hooray for Marco. Let's hooray hear for me. Hip, hip, hooray. I was just hip, here hip, yesterday. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, we have an interesting stack of titles we- to talk about this week. We do, actually. Really, we really do. Good stuff and some not-so-good stuff. But you know what? That's a digital noise show for you. Oh, uh, yeah. And even the not-so-good stuff is, you know, got some stuff worth looking at. Uh, moments there. Of course, getting the house cleaning out of the way. Once again, please click on those Amazon links on the page that we have with all the titles. If you click on one and you buy that title, we get a nice little kickback from Amazon.com. And in fact, if you buy anything starting from one of our links to Amazon, you know, you could start with the title. You're like, I'm going to click on uh, this and see it. Well, maybe I don't want to buy that. I'm going to check out my wish list and buy something from that. Hey, you started from our link. We get a kickback from whatever you end up getting. In fact, I changed my link on my bookmarks. For, my, for Amazon.com to one that links to, oh. like, one of our items so that I always, whatever I buy, I end up getting a kickback. I don't even go. have to think about it. So you guys should do that. Absolutely. Very it's helpful. easy to do. Also, become a subscriber. Number one way you can help us. And, man, we do need your help. Everything costs a lot of money. Believe me, keeping this site up costs a lot of money. And we've been getting... A lot more hits lately, getting a lot more coverage, which is good, but that also means a lot more money we've got to spend to keep things going. So becoming a subscriber is the way to keep oneofus.net functional. Please, there are four different tiers you can subscribe at and you get bonus features from all of them. So take a look, become a subscriber because become one of the us. Yeah, and it also keeps Chris off the street. So don't just do it for yourself. Think of it as a public service. No, baby, I was born on the street. <laughs> yeah, and we are trying to keep you off them <laughs> forever. <laughs> All right, with no further ado, let's get to the reviews. Oh, here we go. First one out the gate. Yeah, when I saw that Arrow had just sent me this movie, I was just immediately thrilled because this is kind of one of my favorite like action movies of all time. Yeah. And I hadn't seen it in a good six or seven years. We're talking about John Frankenheimer's 1988, 1998 film, Ronin. This, I still think... Has the single best car chase sequence ever set to film. It is up there. And, you know, this is a film that... Uh, it's it's a film about a bunch of mercenaries who are brought together to do a job. They have to go chase down a MacGuffin, some kind of mysterious package. Yeah, they literally ambush and car chases through the streets. I mean, they of Quentin East. Tarantino that package because oh, they like yeah. they t- everybody wants it. Everybody talks about it. You never find out what. Never in know it. what it is. Not <laughs> important at all. It just needs to be found. And you know, everybody talks about those car chases, and they are worth talking about because they are damn good remember this is if you grew up in the era of like you know the fast and the furious nothing against those films but you know modern day car chases with their use of cg and of five billion angles per second and all kinds of shit exploding you kind of forget the sheer pleasure and mastery involved in staging a coherent car chase using real cars real drivers on real streets hell they even he even made the actors ride in the cars when they were filming the stunt scenes. Yeah. Like, that's crazy. Like, that's... I can't believe that the insurance must have eaten up a good portion of this budget. Because, like, when you see those scenes, De Niro's, like, driving like crazy. Like... He may not be driving the car, but he's in the car yeah. during those scenes. Yeah, I mean, scenes. it really pulls it, it. It's kind of like the way they did The French Connection or Bullet. Yeah. Those classic movies that center around a car chase. But sometimes we talk about those car chases so much because they're so good that we overlook the other excellent qualities that the movie has to offer. And Ronan, I had forgotten just what a tight little film this is. Yeah, it's, it's a, a smart thriller. It's a it's spy-ish thriller, yeah. but really it avoids most of those conventions and is just kind of a straight up 
action adventure yeah. with just such great actors the, in it. Oh my god, this this is like a who's who. I mean, you've got De Niro, of course, and and people have to remember at this point in 1998, I mean, before he was playing second banana to like, you know, Zac Efron and Ben Stiller. <laughs> Don't remind me. Robert De Niro was basically, he was the Daniel Day-Lewis of his era. Yeah. He was the world's greatest actor. And every time he came made a movie, you were like, ooh, what are we going to get? This is, doesn't really require him to do anything you haven't ever seen him do before. But what he does, he does really well. And he did this coming right after Heat. So he's really in that, you know, tough guy Criminal, man of few words, very smart, and very capable. Yeah, he's the smartest man in the room of yeah. this group of people who who are brought together by Natasha McHale. Oh, boy, I always have Whatever trouble with happened like, to McElhone. her. McElhone. She was so good. Yeah, uh, she's one of those actresses you saw in a lot of stuff for a while, and then she just disappeared. But she's clearly involved with the IRA, Yeah, and they want them to... Get- Steal this package. They're basically, like, well, why don't you, if you have this much money to pay us, why don't you just buy it? It's like, because that would cost a lot more right. than paying you guys. Because the Russians have more money than us, apparently. <laughs> uh, yeah. and she's gathered together De Niro and John Renault, who at this point was coming off of the professional. Yeah, and was this already was an early, like, a lot of guys got their earlier film starts here from like, at least in American films. You got Sean Bean, Stellan Skarsgård. These were guys who were really hot in European cinema. And since the film was being made, in Europe, why not cast some of the best talent they had available? And boy, did they. I love the way everybody kind of rather quickly figures out that A, Sean Bean is kind of a loose cannon and everybody should probably keep an eye on him. And B, De Niro is obviously the guy to listen to in this group of people who's so good at what he does. And the relationship between him and John Renault is one of those like buddy relationships in movies that just kind of warms you all over just yeah, watching it because they're in a profession where nobody trusts anyone right. and they form kind of a real friendship over the length Which of the Which is based paper. purely on competence. It's like, yeah. I trust you because you clearly know what you're doing and vice versa. You know, you also have Jonathan Price's in this, uh, a great character actor by the name of Michelle Lonsdale, whom you've seen in tons of movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is just great. And it's also... Uh, this is one of, not the last, but one of the last films by the uh, legendary director, John Frankenheimer. Yes. And if you haven't seen anything by Frankenheimer, you really should. I mean, he's he was, for a period of time, he was like one of the masters of the straightforward, no-nonsense, uh, American thriller, but with occasional artistic twists to it. I mean... Uh, Manchurian Candidates, probably so the famous one. Seconds, so great good. little thriller. Yeah. You know, The Train is a fantastic film. And, you know, towards the end of his career, he kind of became a director for hire. I think before, right after this, I think he was called to wrap up uh, the Island, of, Island Dr. of Dr. Moreau, Moreau after yeah. Richard Stanley was Do you hear Richard Stanley's trying to get off the ground another remake of it with oh, him directing? Well, He's I like, stopped. I want to do it right this time. Yeah, well, you know, good luck digging up Brando. <laughs> uh, you're going to need a backhoe. Well, this is an Arrow release, which means it looks and sounds spectacular, and yeah. there's a lot of bonus features, including a 30-minute new interview with the cinematographer, Robert Frace. Uh, who talks about his whole career. Uh, there's You Talking to Me, which is a 1994 episode of a show called Cinephile with Robert De Niro and lots of comment about Robert De Niro with Quentin Tarantino basically being the main person commenting about, about his career. There's a alternate ending, which really isn't terribly different. It just adds a little bit of like a, a melodrama to it, basically. Yeah. Uh, the original trailer, a gallery, an audio commentary by John Frankenheimer that's ported over from the old DVD, and then a whole ton of, uh, of art archival features from a previous pretty solid release of this thing. Yeah. So this is a, a nice set and Absolutely. in fact is my pick of the week. It, it, it came really close. And while it's not my pick of the week, it came damn close. And by the way, if you get an opportunity, do check out the audio commentary because, you know, Frankenheimer is not like a sort of bitchy guy full of anecdotes and <laughs> funny stories behind the set. He is a very nuts and bolts type of guy who's going to talk to you about lenses and his choices for how he stages things. And it's a rare chance to hear a master filmmaker just talk very matter-of-factly about how he sets up these kind of shots. Uh, highly, highly recommend it. Uh, next up is another film by a master filmmaker, John Huston, his 1985 adaptation of the novel Pritzi's Honor. Uh, bringing in another one of those actors who could do no wrong in his career. Definitely thought of as one of the greatest actors alive and at a high point of his career at this point. Jack Nicholson 
as well as Kathleen Turner, who was also kind of riding a high right about, the, about yeah. then, appearing in film massive hits like well, Romancing the Stone. Well, and uh, wasn't she also in, uh, uh, oh, God, the uh, the Larry Kasdan thing, Body Heat. She was in Body, she was Heat. In Body Heat. I mean, she was really hot at this War point. of the Roses. And War of the Roses came shortly after. This actually makes a really interesting pairing with War of the Roses because these, these are films about – toxic relationships yeah. that don't necessarily end well. Uh, Jack Nicholson is a mob enforcer for the Pritzy crime family run by the wonderful character actor, William Hickey, who plays this like, basically like Nosferatu as a mafia don. Everything William Hickey does oh, play, he plays like Nosferatu absolutely. as whatever he's supposed to be. He is playing. wonderful in this. But you also got Robert Loja and an early, if not the first uh, screen appearance by Angelica Houston. Yeah, who actually uh, was not, did she win? Um, I think she was nominated. She won. April she won. her best supporting actress. And, and she is a the daughter of, of the She's director. the daughter of, jo- uh, of Jonathan Houston. Houston. But she really is one of the linchpins of this film. Uh, basically, you've got a, a sort of meet-cute at a mafia wedding where Jack Nicholson spots a woman in a dress who is Kathleen Turner, and he starts trying to find out who she is. Turns out she has got some connections to the crime element herself. Before long, they're in a relationship, realizing that they're working on different sides uh, eventually they find a way to make it work, but for only so long as the crime family starts to uh, put the heat on them to break this relationship up. Well, the real charm here is that, like, as far as he knows, she's just somebody who's got a tertiary connection to right. all these crime families. And as the film goes on, we keep, we and he keep finding out more and more about the degree to which she has been pretty dishonest yeah. about where she actually fits into this she bigger picture. She is one of the smartest people in the movie. And by the time he figures it out, it, it it's the kind of situation where I mean, any other mob boss or mob uh, enforcer would have been like, I'm just going to kill this woman. But he is so wildly in love with her that he keeps making excuses or looking past it or finding a way to make it work to their advantage. One of the greatest moments in this here where you tell somebody, if any of the other guys find out that I, I took my, my girlfriend on a hit, <laughs> they'll never talk to me again. Yeah, I'll never hear the end of it. Uh, yeah, this is a great movie. I think for some people, it. one of the things I love about this movie, and I'm not going to spoil it, but... Mind you, this is John Huston adapting a best-selling novel by Robert Condon. And this was at a time in Houston's career where he was kind of having a late period resurgence. Mm. Uh, he had done Under the Volcano, which was a commercial hit. He'd done Annie, which was a uh, – uh, Under the Volcano was a critical hit. Annie was a commercial hit, but not a critical hit. And then he followed it up with Pritzy's Honor that actually did really well, both at the box office and with critics. And then he finished this with a critically acclaimed adaptation of The Dead by uh, – uh, James Joyce, also starring Angelica Houston. Still so, never seen that one. Always yeah, at, at this really late, it's only like about an hour and a half. It's a more really a short story. But at this period, he, he was in his 70s. He had emphysema. He was dying. He could barely move. But for some reason, you know, in the last like half decade of his life, he just started hitting out, you know, really strong. And this is a guy who'd been around from the 20s or 30s. Yeah. I mean, if you ever get a chance, a look up John in, Houston. A long and storied career. Oh, yeah. Sure. Uh, you know, a father was Walter Houston. I mean, the number of films this guy has done. We don't have time to go into the biography of John Houston. Mm-hmm. I won't do it here. But do yourself a favor. If you get a chance, watch some old John Houston films and at least look up on uh, his biography because this is one of the most interesting characters to ever have a career in Hollywood. And this is definitely a thoroughly charming film, although I have to warn you. It has a shockingly bleak ending that yeah. kind of that makes perfect sense, but it's going to still make you feel very uncomfortable when yeah. it happens. It, it, it is a black comedy, but you know this is a movie that came out a little bit before stuff like Married to the Mob. It's after The Godfather, but before Married to the Mob. Imagine something in between. Right. There's just enough of a broad comic element to keep you laughing and following along. But by the time you get to the end of this, John Houston lets you know that, hey, these actions have consequences. Or what was that weird one that was that actually had Marlon Brando more or less playing the Godfather oh, again, the, but the, with Matthew the Broderick? Freshman. The freshman. Freshman, the, the yeah. Freshman. I actually 
when I saw that was when I got my wisdom teeth out and I was on heavy, <laughs> heavy drugs. Someone and I watched it. Couldn't remember a thing about it. Oh, I was wow. like, we were turning these movies. I was like, I watched this? They're like, yeah, you watched all those movies. Well, I'm like, I don't remember any of them. you had your wisdom teeth pulled and you had your cheeks stuffed with cotton, you probably looked and sounded like The Godfather. <laughs> uh, this is a really good movie. And, sure I did. Uh, it's got a pretty decent transfer here. It hasn't always been available widely on DVD. Yeah. Uh, you don't get a lot of special features here. No, but just I, a commentary by film historians, and that's it. And I did happen to listen to that the second time I watched it, and it's a really good commentary that not only talks about the making of the film and how it was received and how its uh, reputation has grown over the years, but also gives you a pretty good overall view of uh, Houston's career. Uh, this is actually my pick of the week. Good Lord. Yes, I know, but sometimes we have to be iconoclast. <laughs> but I know we're coming up to your second pick of the week. Oh, right God, now. no. <laughs> Admit it. You know it's true. Uh, you didn't get to see this, and I, and I know not. you thanked me for it. But honestly, I got to admit... This animated film that I completely intentionally skipped seeing the theatrical press screening for The Boss Baby, it's not really that bad. Yeah, I mean, you know, I keep saying that every time I look at the news. Look at The Boss Baby. He's not that bad. <laughs> Maybe there's something good. No, I can't see this in real life it's, and watch the movie about it, too. It's not that good, either. And they're both voiced by Alec Baldwin. It's right. just too close <laughs> to home. It's too soon, man. Uh, the idea is we follow... This little kid, when we hear the adult narrator version of him, it's Tobey Maguire, but is uh, talking about himself when he was a kid, living with his parents, played by Jimmy Kimmel and Lisa Kudrow. Uh, and they're like, oh, you're going to have a little brother. And the little brother comes and it's a baby, but it's wearing a business suit and, and shows up in a taxi. <laughs> and they're like, what? And there's like kind of explanation like – Heaven or whatever it is is just a factory, and some babies go and they get chosen to be in a family, and some babies um, are like they basically put on a suit and become business people to run the operation up there. And this is one of the ones who did that because he just wasn't good. He, they were like, he's not good with people. He's not going to be good as a family. But he's it, down it, there because, uh... as we as it turns out, uh, and as as the uh, brother finds out. Like this baby can talk and act like an adult, voiced by Alec Baldwin, that he's actually down there on a mission because it turns out that their organization is really frightened by the preponderance of puppies. Puppies are starting to become more popular than babies. And so they're like, we have to do something to nip this whole puppy thing you know, uh, in the bud. In the words of film critic Joe Bob Briggs, there's a whole lot of plot getting in the way of the story here. It's a, it's a ridiculous plot. It, it serves, there's no pleasures to be had from the plot. <laughs> There is a surprising amount of pleasures and laughs to be had from Alec Baldwin as this baby who genuinely does some pretty funny stuff along the way here. And there's some really cool visual shit going on here, too. There's quite a few kind of insane flights of fancy that happen throughout this movie that are like... That was weird. What was that doing in the Boss Baby? <laughs> because your movie is called Boss Baby, and why the hell not? I guess so. I think I liked this movie better when it featured Baby Herman, and he only showed up as a cameo in Roger Rabbit. <laughs> right? It could very well be the Baby Herman story. Uh, I mean, honestly, I'm just saying, if you're a big fan of, like, you know, you try and follow a lot of the animated films, you skip this because of how atrocious it sounds. It's not really all that bad. And maybe if, if you're like, you really love anime films, it might even be worth a shot. Uh, there's a lot of extras on here, but it's all fluffy stuff, like most animated films. It's just little cute EPKs more for the kids who are watching it than anyone else. I'm not even going to bother getting into the details here, but there's 11 and a half minutes of deleted scenes with the director and producer uh, introducing each one of them. So, yeah, it's a DreamWorks animated film, which is to say they're never going to be Disney or Pixar. That's for sure. Well, I think we've damned this movie with enough faint praise. Yeah, let's move on to <laughs> something I... Two films that have been on my bucket list since I was a kid, and I've never got around to till now. But thankfully, there's actually a Blu-ray twin pack you can get yes. of both of them. The film They Call Me Trinity and the film Trinity Is Still My Name, the real sequel. There's another sequel that is has Trinity, but it, it was actually these two main actors that they did a film before this. And they just that The characters it. were so similar, yeah. they just renamed it and redubbed it. So and hope nobody would notice. Film. Well, it's actually, that's supposed to be a really good film too. But yeah. the idea here is basically everyone realizing that the actors Terrence Hill 
Hill and Bud Spencer had incredible chemistry oh, with yeah. each other. They, they were really so good. funny. And so they decided to make these comedy westerns with them that are definitely more western than comedy, but there's a lot of comedy yeah. here. I mean, imagine a spaghetti western with a little bit of slapstick and some fun in it. I mean... These are a lot of fun. If you have not seen these before, I have seen the uh, They Call Me Trinity. I don't think I've ever seen uh, They Still Call Me Trinity. Or Trinity, or, is, still or Trinity is Still My Name. Uh, these are a lot of fun. And again, uh, they're actually G-rated. Yeah. Uh, you know, but it's like my, we're talking, the Apple, we're talking the Apple Dumpling Gang level. Yeah, of like, you know, it's very silly. Uh, you know, even though there's plenty of gunfights... Both films follow a fairly similar plot. You have a uh, Trinity who is this profoundly lazy cowboy. Yeah, he actually has a, a a cot that drags after his horse, so he doesn't even have to sit on the horse. Right. Whenever he's going somewhere, he just sleeps on the yeah. cot, dragging behind. Any time he can get out of doing anything that remotely resembles work, he does. Uh, but he's also, you know, the fastest gunman in the West. He bumps into his brother, uh, his half brother, played by Bud Spencer. And uh, these guys kind of hate one another. Uh, they're total opposites. The other guy, who's they're both criminals. Yeah. Uh, but the brother is pretending to be a sheriff of a small town, and he is uh, set to uh, – it's pretty standard. You know, you've got the evil cattle baron who yeah. wants to kick off the poor uh, religious community off the land. And so the brothers decide, eh, fine, we'll get off our asses and do something about it, but also maybe work out a deal or we can come out ahead as well. well it's, it's, it's funny because they both have their unique skills, which Terrence Hill's character, Trinity, has the heart – because he's always the guy who falls for the sob story and kind of yeah. tricks his brother into getting involved to help people who need it. And he's got the hands because he is, dub, right. you know, they have to speed it up. But he's like this surreally fast oh, gunfighter. Yeah. And Bud is the guy who's the head who figures out how to get themselves out of these situations Trinity gets them into. But he's also the head when it turns to combat because the dude just – he he's the muscle. He is the thing. He cannot be hurt. Yeah. Like people are like bashing him in the head with stuff. Up and he just doesn't even flinch. He's basically Bluto and Popeye. Yeah, pretty much. You know, he, <laughs> and they have great chemistry together. And both films, uh, the second film, again, follows a fairly similar plot. It yeah. picks up very quickly after the first film. I'll say I actually kind of preferred the second film. Yeah, and a lot, apparently a lot of people feel that well, way. And this time they're trying to save a bu not a religious group of uh, it, what was it? They were Mormon settlers. Here the they're trying one? to save some monks yeah. uh, who are, you know, ha are sitting on a pile of gold uh, and some uh, nefarious characters want to rob them of it. So, again, they come to the rescue. Both films end not in huge shootouts, which is what you expect in a Western, but in like several minute long uh Barroom brawl type uh, sequences. Uh, yeah. They're staged outdoors. They're not ballroom brawls. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, but they're you know what I mean. really fun to watch. They're those really fun. Slapstick. And... Lots of people getting punched and flying about. Uh, these are a lot of fun, and because they are kind of again, mind you, in the 1960s, we had a different idea of what G, sure. uh, P or PG would be. These are G rated. There's no curse words. There's a little implication of sex. I mean, obviously, yeah. there's a Trinity's, lot of a, Trinity's a guy for the ladies, but he yeah. never ends up quite. And they meet up their mother, them. who is literally a whore. Yeah, yeah. Their mother and <laughs> in the second one, their mom and father appear in it, and it's a really funny sequence. It, it, it's hilarious, and you know, a lot of it again is slapstick. It, there are actually, even though this is translated, there's actually good lines in here that actually get a laugh. Yeah. So. Uh, these are really, really fun, and you can watch them with anybody without offending anybody too much. Yeah, they're, uh, they're, they're worth checking out. I'd say they're minor classics. They, they are really minor are. classics in the spaghetti western era, and they're just really unique because they are so, unlike most spaghetti westerns, which are kind of bleak, these are so comic. And, you know, there's not much in the way of special features on here. There's some galleries. There's a, maybe a trailer. Uh, but for a film that has been available in public domain, that meant it got a lot of horrible releases over the years. This right. is one of the best uh, quality uh, Blu-rays as far as this kind of movie is. Uh, it's it, about the best I've never seen it look this it's good. It's the best copy out there. They're apparently, and reading some of the stats I've read, they're like, yeah, it's not perfect, but it's the best one we It's got. better than anything else. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so moving to a modern film, Kill Switch. This is an American-Dutch crossover sci-fi film. Uh that stars Dan Stevens, who's become kind of becoming the it guy right now. Yeah. 
after yeah. his turns on the show Legion and in The Guest and in Beauty and the Beast, the live action remake. He's like he was in Down and Abbey. He's, he's in Down Abbey. He's he's you know like he's uh, everywhere. He's a big guy, but this is kind of a little indie sci-fi movie yeah. that surprised me that he chose to be in, especially considering that a lot of this in terms of the way it's shot uh, reminds me of Hardcore Henry. You know, this is a first... These are all the cut scenes from a first-person shooter, basically. And I realize in retrospect, because I thought the same thing, how did they get Dan Stevens to do yeah, this? Yeah, it feels like... And it's half- like because he could go and 90% of his performance is accomplished on the ADR stage. This feels like it was a script for a Half-Life movie that they realized they couldn't get the rights to, and yeah. so they just tooled it around to, to change like some things. There's like two or three scenes with Dan Stevens, and the rest is him just talking. He is, you know, you get that classic shot. You even get, you know, the guy's hand coming out into the frame and shooting at people. People punch him and he blacks out. And then we get a cut scene of him waking up again. Yeah. It's a lot. That's very repetitious. Uh, uh, he plays a former NASA pilot yeah. uh, who's working for a big power company that's built this huge tower, crazy-looking tower that's found a way to tap into unlimited quantum energy. But when they turn it on... All sorts of shit goes really wrong, and he gets thrown into a mirror universe of the Earth, which is being torn to pieces because of the tower on the other Earth. And he is a wanted man. Everyone who worked for that company is a wanted man, and they're roving gangs of people both hunting down anyone from that company or just for whatever and like drones from the company that are going yeah. and aggressively taking out well, people you, as you well. You have two realities and only one of them can survive and they have to find this thing called the get it the kill switch it's right the, in the title. Yeah, the redivider. Yeah, or the redivider. Yes, of uh, some other plot MacGuffin, but it, it has some good ideas. I think there's some fun action moments, but I felt that after a while it got a little repetitive. Uh, again, this guy gets knocked out so many times, mm-hmm. and it's so clear that, you know, I, I just kept waiting for, like, you know, a screen to pop up and go, would you like to play again? I, know. I, w- I would be much more interested in watching a Dan Stevens movie that actually features Dan Stevens yeah. in it as opposed to just him occasionally going voiceover for whatever cameraman was, was filming most yeah. of this. I, I think he came in and did, you know... A couple days shooting some scenes for the wraparound sequence and, and then, then maybe a, a day, day or two, two of ADR, ADR and yeah. he was done. Yeah, I mean, I don't – a lot of people really hated this. I didn't hate it. I thought there were some good qualities here. I mean, it's a neat idea. It's just – you're right. Even at 92 minutes, it goes on too long without much going – Nothing happening really different. Happens. It's not till really some of the – like a few big reveals in the third act, which are not too hard to figure out, that it – you know, you're like, okay, well, this is a good – idea but where are you going with it and it doesn't really have anywhere interesting to go with it unfortunately i will say that the effects were great yeah for for a low budget sci-fi film i was like those were pretty impressive as one of the things the tower is doing to this second world he's been thrown into it's sucking stuff out of its world like battleships and trucks up into the air and sometimes they're falling as well Well, you know if somebody comes up to you and goes look we've created a way to get you know, pure, unlimited, clean energy. It's perfect. Trust us. And then you go, oh, yeah, uh, how is that? Don't ask any questions. But it's because we created a parallel universe and we're sucking all the energy and matter from that and slowly killing all of it. And it's all of its citizens. But don't think about it too much. Look at all the clean power we're getting for free. <laughs> Nothing could go wrong with this plan. This was a much more interesting plot line when they did it in Rick and Morty. But, uh, you know. It also stars Berenice Marlowe, who played uh, the the anti-hero Bond girl Severin in Skyfall, uh, who is, once again, super hot. And she's playing a very different type of role here, to be sure. And a couple of their familiar like actors yeah. that I was like, wait, who is that? Like Charity Wakefield is like, I know I've seen her and stuff. Anyway, I, I think largely this is kind of forgettable, but it's not yeah. that bad. I mean, it's it's not a bad Netflix watch or something, nah. you know. If you got nothing else better to do. All right. Well, let's talk about one that I can't recommend anyone watch, although it was funny because I was saying how I was watching it and my friend of mine just saw they they premiered it here in Austin, the theatrical cut of it, uh, this movie Effects, which actually came out in 1978. Uh, they premiered it at the Alamo because the company that is 
putting this out is one that Tim League, the owner of the Alamo, is actually involved uh, yes. in. And they've been uh, gradually releasing um, the AGFA. The, uh, the AGFA. What is it? I can't remember what it stands for. Uh, I remember. The, the something. Something film, genre film, film archive. Genre, yeah, but it's a clever – it's also a clever parody on AGFA, the film stock. Oh, fair uh, which was ca- Which was but used But he loved it. Days. He was like, really? You didn't like it? I was like, dude, I did not just <sighs> not like this film. I thought this was unwatchable. Like, and it's one of those films people had, like, 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 you haven't been able to see it for decades. It just yeah, didn't, a copy I, didn't I, exist. I think you know? part of the appeal of this is because it was kind of considered like a lost film. It was made by a handful of guys. Uh, and literally, these guys are usually cast and crew yeah. in a film that they made of over about 18 days in like one or two locations. Yeah, these are pretty much, as far as I know, almost everyone in this are people who are usually crew on other films yeah, who and, decided to star and make their own And film. they had done a, a lot of work with George Romero, not only yeah. on his films, but on the uh, industrials and shorts that, that were his primary source yeah, of Who is done. not involved with He's this He's not film. involved in this, but he is clearly an inspiration to them. And they Tom, also managed to bring Tom Savini Tom Savini is, is, is do the starring in this and does the effects. And the idea is it's a filmmaker who's making this very low-budget horror film in the middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania. And uh, on the way, the couples are getting in, like, you know, they're having sex. Everyone's doing a lot of cocaine, yeah. which is probably pretty true to the fact of what was happening on film sets at that point. Yeah. And maybe even now. And, you know, and this is, if you don't want to know, hold up for a second, but there's no real way to describe anything else that happens in this film without telling you, even though it doesn't, isn't revealed till like the last 10 minutes. All right. So hold and... Here's the spoiler. The film's director is actually secretly making a snuff documentary and is killing the cast and crew for his movie. And it's so bizarre what it plays out to. I mean, the last 10 minutes is actually pretty fucking entertaining because yeah. of how absurd it is. It's, there is one, about halfway through the film, there is one very effective scene where, you know, the director invites his crew to come over and look at some some stuff, a film that he had worked on before. And what they realize is they're watching a snuff film, mm. and it's very chilling. Uh, Savini did the effects for this. It's not terribly gory. It's in black and white. It's kind of at a distance. It's so removed, and yet it's unnerving as you watch these guys realizing. And these are guys who like really enjoy doing horror film, and they're watching what they realize is a real uh, murder on film. Right. It, it is a very jarring and disturbing moment, and... Part of the film, I think, reputation stems from the fact that it has a lot of moments where it tries to get meta on you and play with the reality. You start seeing – because they're a film crew. It's a film crew making a movie about a film crew. And so at times you start what you think is the film crew getting ready for a shot and then something horrible happens and you realize, oh, wait, we're in the movie within the movie. And they lean into that gimmick a little too often yeah. uh, to overcome it's, the fact that there's really not a strong script here. There's a good idea. There's no plot at all. No. It's really there <laughs> just to fuck with you. And, you know, this is it's, a pretty solid re-release for a film that's really been hard to get a hold of. I mean, of. it doesn't look great to be sure. No, I mean, but it's shot it's, on 16 and 18 days. And it was it and it was all they had was like a cruddy print. So considering yeah. that, it's not a bad transfer at no. all. But uh, this, you know, it's they obviously try and give you everything they can. And there's an hour long retrospective, uh, looking at g- giving interviews and background information on the making of this film, uh, with an optional commentary as well, where they discuss the making of the documentary. Uh, there's a sh- uh, wow, two that's sh- so meta. There's two short films by some of the makers of this on here: Ubu and Beastie, and a archival commentary track as well, which is actually worth listening to. I must admit, I did not much care for this movie i gave them credit for you know putting it together and you know relying just on <laughs> local talent i think that's where the uh, romero influence come from going you know we don't have to go to hollywood we can tap our local resources use local talent make a movie and get it out on our own i give them credit for that uh but i enjoyed this movie slightly more when i listened to the commentary because these guys do obviously have a good, strong working relationship. They got a lot of great stories about the making of the movie and talk about its uh, history. That's worth checking out. But otherwise, this is really only for, I think, George Romero and Tom Savini completists. 
Uh, our next one is one you didn't get to see. It is a uh, American TV series that was on HBO called Crashing. As far as I know, it got renewed for a second season. Uh, yes, it did. And this centers around comedian Pete Holmes, whose whole kind of gimmick is, I'm a milk-a-toast white guy. You know, that's really his deal. And, like, this is a hyper-exaggerated version of that character that he does in his stand-up, which is actually pretty good. In fact, this bl- this Blu-ray of the first complete first season comes with an hour-long Pete Holmes stand-up show called Faces and Sounds. It's pretty funny. Much funnier than I thought the actual TV show was, because it's one of those things where he is just so thoroughly pathetic that... I just couldn't have any sympathy for him. I'm like, every time I'm, you know, somebody gives you a chance, you're just, you're just such a whiny little weasel. I don't see, and you're like so incredibly entitled. I mean, the deal is, when we first meet him here in the show, he's married. He's very like serious about trying to become a comedian. But that being said, I mean, he's going out a lot, but he's basically paying to perform at a shithole stand-up club thinking maybe he's going to have a shot. But his wife, Lauren Lapkus, has just kind of had it. I mean, she's a sweet, clearly a sweet lady, but she's just reached the end of her rope with this guy who does nothing. He has no job of his own. She supports him completely. He's really taking advantage of her, and he considers himself a Christian, which the show never really, like, calls him out for how are you a Christian with the way that you treat people? But... Uh, he finds, catches her cheating on him. Uh, the only thing in the whole thing you could blame her for, because the guy she picks is the most annoying type of old hippie guy. You're just like, oh my God, Mr. New Age Crystals Heal Everything Yoga Vegan, get the fuck out of my face. But the show is him, he's crashing on a series of people's couches. And it's an excuse for other comedy guest stars as he crashes right. with Artie Lang, who's actually really funny in this. Yeah. Uh, he's the best thing about it, where he is, you know, he's playing Artie Lang, and he's like, I can't drink or do drugs anymore. And it's like, I'm literally going to hire you to be my person to keep me from doing that. And it's next to impossible because everywhere he goes, we were like, Hey, come on. I got to here's some Coke. Here's a, have to have a drink. Uh, TJ Miller plays himself in here playing exactly what you picture TJ Miller as being like in real life. Uh, Sarah Silverman is in this and actually has some funny sequences as well. I mean, the guest stars are indeed kind of amusing here. It's just, Pete Holmes himself is just not funny. I like this idea more when it was called Punching Henry, yeah. <laughs> you know, which was basically about another cringe-tastic view of a comedian who keeps, you know, making his life worse and crashing on couches and also has Sarah Silverman and features room for real-life comedians to just show up for a day, you know, and just hang out. Uh, I'm actually kind of tired of that whole... I really yeah. don't think comedians' lives are that interesting. That <laughs> we need not to this see guy's, that's It's for like sure. we've gotten this kind of thing for so many times. There's so many iterations Honestly, of this. Honestly, it's like... Whether it's Seinfeld at, or Well, but, you know, there was Seinfeld, and that encouraged a whole bunch of shows, and that fell off. And then we had Louie, which is still Louis. genius, I think. Sure. It's the best of the best. That was the Seinfeld but, of this new But the idea about series, it's a comedian, been as and good. all he has to do is play himself, and right. it'll be great. And I'm like, you know what? I don't think comedians are that inherently interesting. You know, it's like I've seen a comedian. That's like, oh, you bombed last night. Oh, you tried to hit on a girl that you met at the club and things went wrong. I mean, even while you were just got, talking through, like, the base, the basic synopsis, I already started losing it. Oh, no. And it, I, like I said, this is not something I'll be watching the second season for. I was just like, I can't stand this guy. I really want him to burn in a fire. He's a, he's a horrible character who deserves none of your sympathy. And the show doesn't seem to quite get that. I know it's like, yeah, we know he's pathetic. It's funny. I'm like, yeah, but he still has to be sympathetic. And he's not. Oh, well. Uh, yeah, that's the, the thing. So it's edgy because we're creating characters that you don't like. They shouldn't be likable. I'm like, no, they don't have to be likable, but they have to be compelling. And what you just described not doesn't compelling. sound compelling to me. There's a couple extras with their featurettes devoted to the guest stars. And like I said, the live concert, which is much better than the show itself. A couple EPKs, but, you know, hey, what are you going to do? Uh, let's move on to Master of the Drunken Fist. Oh, my Okay, goodness. I'm a devotee in martial arts films to Drunken Fist movies. Anytime it's a, a, like a drunken master, drunken fist, I'm like... 
top of my list of stuff to watch. Uh, Legend of Drunken Master, or if you watch the actual original Hong Kong version, Drunken Master 2, is one of the greatest martial arts films ever filmed with Jackie Chan. It is terrific and is based, in fact, on a real-life per- person, Wong Fei Hung, who is, I believe... I think he's like number two for the character who the mo- who's appeared in the most amount of films oh, of yeah. all time. I it's, believe it. He's in so much stuff, it's ridiculous. I lost track of how many variations on the drunken master. Or It's like, oh, God, another drunken master origin story. Uh, and this one kind of falls into that same trap where it's like, here's a story that you've kind of heard before, but we're going to do it a little bit differently. Uh, HBO has gotten in on this where they are <laughs> yeah. producing original content. Uh, primarily to uh, crack the Chinese market, but they're also releasing them on DVD and on demand and various platforms here in the U.S. Uh, this movie had some certain things going for it. It had some really smart choreography. It had a, a very nice production design. Uh, like so many of these, uh, so many of these martial arts movies that involve palace intrigue and rival schools of kung fu, it starts to get a little needlessly Byzantine in the plotting. It really but, does. You know, after a while, it's like. This guy's fighting that guy because they did something, right? That's all I need to know, right? Uh, there was a point in here that I really did lose track of what the fuck was going on with the plot, as it is, like you said, Byzantine, like, to say what? the least. It's like, cause and, he had to be like the military right. master, but then he wasn't the military master. But ultimately, master. you're watching a thing about a guy who eventually is making his peace with learning that, hey, I'm actually really good at this whole getting drunk and fighting people thing in that style. <laughs> and when that when the movie is firing on let's shoot those scenes... It's still not all that great. No. It's okay. You've seen a lot better. Yeah, there's nothing they haven't seen before. It's definitely a TV movie, too. Its sense of style feels very television. And this is part of, like, a a two-parter. There's Or not two-parter. There were two films they put out at the same time, uh, HBO Asia, for their We're Making Our Own Ones. And the other one, which I'll talk about when Joe comes on again, is actually pretty damn good. Oh, okay. And I was surprised that this was just... So thoroughly mediocre. Because I was hoping they weren't all going to be like this. Because it sounds like they're just taking classic kung fu masters around whom there are legendary tales. Mm-hmm. This is going, not. Let's Wong just Fe- adapt that. This is not Wong Fei Hung, by the way. The, the, I, I started with that talking about the other one, but no, in fact, it uh, he's is a Master Su uh, or Beggar Su. Beggar Su. Beggar so, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. It, the, the, uh, there's so the elements there to be a good movie, but. You've seen this movie done better elsewhere. You have, for sure. And I, I can't I can't recommend it. Uh, only for the hardest of hardest core martial arts fans. I will say this, with so many of the Hong Kong movies that with martial arts coming out lately are just CG heavy as hell. Yeah. And I mean, they're like really flashy and they're trying to be Hollywoody, but they don't really seem to understand what that is exactly and why that works for some stuff. Or 90% of them are fucking uh, like bizarre, huge fantasy epics yeah. these days. It, it was kind of refreshing to come back and see one that felt a little bit more like a 80s, 90s Hong Kong yeah, movie. Yeah, I mean, I know? could see that. Like, uh, oh, God, like the guy who did Judge Archer in the other film we watched of his uh, yeah, a couple but, weeks back. There are some Hong Kong artists who are still kind of moving away from the wire foo and the CG enhancements and just going, hey, I got 50 guys who are great martial artists, and I'm just going to let them loose on each other in really well-choreographed scenes. And it's all about whether or not you're good at filming that. And I hate to and tell you, but this guy it. is not terribly no. great at filming that. It feels that. like it was done in a rush on a very low budget, and too bad. Well, our last film this week is a South Korean sort of horror thriller. It's more thriller. It's than... much more of a thriller. Uh, this, I will Bluebeard. say, came so, so close to being my pick of the week. I thought this was exceptional. It, it really was, except for a certain point where I thought, okay, I'm docking you a few points here. Well, this there's, is... there's towards the end, there's some needed suspension of disbelief that you either uh, will or won't be yeah, able to way do. way more than I was ready to. Because what was up in any other movie, I probably would have been okay with it. But because so much of this movie was exceptional, I was holding it to a higher standard. Mm-hmm. This is the movie about a, uh, a South Korean doctor. He's kind of hit a bad patch in his life. He's recently got a divorce. He lost his clinic. He's working, you know, shitty hours at this clinic in a bad part of town, living above a butcher shop. And uh, to add a little cringe comedy to the whole thing, he's a colonoscopist. So, <laughs> literally, he puts his tools up your butt. That's his job. Not a great uh, job. Not a great job. And if you've ever known anybody who's had to deal with that, 
Uh, I actually, not too long ago, had to take a friend and they said, you need someone to drive you because we're going to pump these people full of drugs. And you know what? It turns out that sometimes people say the damnedest things when they're under anesthesia. What did you find out? You know, like, what did I say, Marco? You know, when you <laughs> said uh, something about a head and a body, and if you want to time it just right, you got to put it at this time of the year because the ice won't melt until April. Uh the doctor, as you might imply from my kidding around, uh, does hear what sounds like a confession from one of his patients who happens to be the landlord, his landlord, the owner of the butcher shop he mm -hmm. lives above. Uh, of course, this makes him feel very awkward, and he gets, starts getting paranoid as the members of the uh, butcher's uh, family start showing up and getting really chummy with him. Like, hey, how's it going? Uh, and you it come over and have a beer. And you said you didn't say what the confession was for. There's been a long-running yes. serial killer in this town who seemed to have disappeared for a while, yeah. but now is back. Right. And the police have no leads. They're no just leads bodies showing chopped up. Right. They don't know what it is. there's an early spring thaw, and suddenly the ice is melting, and all of these body parts are starting to come up. And, you know, they own a butcher shop. Yeah. So right there, it's kind of like he's like, um, I'm putting that with this and going, fuck, I live above these people. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, he's got no friends. He's not good at making friends anyway. He's very, no. he's definitely a, a very, like, closed off he's person. socially awkward. And this guy who's the son of the, the landlord is just pushing himself on him. Yeah. Like, we're going to be like, friends hey, buddy, now. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, you know, he's got problems with his ex-wife. He's trying desperately to keep, you know, custody of his son. You know, it, it's really these... The word Hitchcockian gets thrown around a lot. Hell, it's even on the box cover for this. Yeah. But I think it's appropriate here. This is not a movie about violence or blood or gore, even though you get a fair amount of that. True. Uh, really, this is about paranoia. It's about that fear of uh, being fa discovered, that fear of being wrongfully accused, uh, you know, that guilt of holding something back. Uh, a lot of these classic Hitchcockian themes, and it's done by this director, uh, uh, Su Young Yun Lee, who did The Uninvited yeah. in 2003, which was, I, if I remember correctly, was which I don't remember. I think I saw, but one. if I remember, it was extremely well thought of. Yeah, well, this guy just stages these scenes in such a great way and just keeps tightening the tension as our protagonist keeps feeling the world kind of closing in on him. Mm -hmm. Does he go to the cops? Does, you know, should he be afraid? You know, is he going to lose his son? You know, and, you know, he can't sleep at night. And also, he's a huge fan of mystery novels. So already, he's kind of letting his imagination go to where you're not, even he himself isn't sure. Did I hear what I think I heard? Did I see what I thought I saw? Am I just imagining this? And this director manages to keep those balls up in the air so efficiently, so effectively for so long that when we finally get to a third act reveal, it feels like it's just one, it feels like the predictably pre unpredictable ending mm. and feels like, as you said, it requires a certain amount of suspension of disbelief and a reliance on uh, some pretty convenient coincidences mm. and you know, I kept for, waiting for it to reverse again. Yeah, I was I, like, this would only I almost make, wanted to say, oh, it's not that. This simple. would almost make sense if it there was one more layer to it, right. and that reversed it all around. And I was, I like, was, I was waiting, waiting for that, and it doesn't. It was like, no, no, we're happy with this one. I was like, yeah, maybe you should have like, thought you about know, it. We Either maybe you should have not, not done that at all, or you should have added that this was just one other level to this. You know degree of plotting against yeah, this Yeah, I mean, this is this is like just going strong. I mean, this is like... It's so well shot. Everything oh about this is great. Just great acting. that last 15, 20 minutes... Oh, yeah, and he's got a weird relationship apart. with this guy who's like a, a Korean Columbo who's sort of following yeah, him around. Yeah, this retired cop who's like, you know, saying, hey, I, I have been following this case for 15 years and you know something. You know, it. all of these threads could have... There, all the elements are there. I mean, it's hard for me to even think of a good analogy. I mean, mm. imagine eating like three layers of the greatest cake you've ever had, and then at the bottom of it, it's like this is just some leftover sheet cake as the final layer. Right? You know, I've had this before, and it's already pretty. Stale. It seems weird that they didn't. Yeah, like... that. This was my up until the last twenty, thirty minutes of this. This was my pick of the week. Yeah.
But I was, the, the drop off was so was the sharp. same way where I was like, wow, I loved this so much until then. But honestly, there's so much to enjoy from that first two thirds of this that I still thoroughly recommend. I mean, the they film. don't even explain the title Bluebeard, which I know probably has something to do with the old legend of Bluebeard, right. which I think involves like wives and people like yeah, the, the guy who was killing his wife. Yeah. You know, uh, it, it's wow. This was such a near miss. I mean, it was so close to being right. A minor classic, I think. Agreed. You know, so uh, otherwise, uh, it's there's not a whole lot of special features on there's here. There's none. There's none. Yeah. Uh, that's right. There weren't any. There was just some trailers. Yeah. But visually, this looks beautiful. Yeah. Uh, you may get more mileage out of this than me and Chris did, but... I hope so. Uh, I want yeah. someone else to enjoy this all the way through as because opposed to most of the way through. This is clearly a talented filmmaker. I mean, the first three quarters of this film didn't happen by accident and blind luck. True. So hopefully his next time out... Uh, he'll give us something even more satisfying. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's digital... Well, the two digital noises this week, but, you know, this one. My digital noise yeah, is Marco's over. digital noise. And, uh, as always, please become a subscriber and use those Amazon links. We need your help. Help us. If you're listening to this podcast, just come on. Throw us a little something. Keep us going. Just keep our beaks wet. Yeah, I like a wet beak. Uh-huh, I bet you do. Ladies and gentlemen, listeners to oneofus.net. Be a subscriber. If I could offer you only one tip for the future, being a subscriber is it. The long-term benefits of being a subscriber at oneofus.net have been proven by scientists, whereas the rest of my advice has no basis more reliable than my own meandering experience. I will dispense this advice now. Watch TV, but not too much. Remember to cast a wide net of types of shows you watch. Even reality TV may have the occasional gem to offer. Don't feel too bad that you have trouble finding friends that share your interests. You are amazing, and you should love what you love. Sure, in 20 years you'll look back at your favorite stuff and cringe at some of it, but it will be with an affectionate smile. By the way, I have no doubt that you probably look amazing. Even if you haven't found that person yet, if you believe in yourself, somebody is going to love you. I'm sure anime is great. I don't personally watch a lot of it, although some of our staff certainly does. You'll feel better in realizing that my lack of interest in it isn't me critiquing the quality of anime and affects your love of it in no way. Tony is probably not gonna show up. Yeah, we wish he would love that guy taking it personal when someone likes something you hate or hates something you love in entertainment is understandable when young but as you get older trust me there will be little that will make you feel more embarrassed about yourself than cruel things you said on someone's facebook page about dc versus marvel or whatever at three in the morning at least hopefully write create do your own thing if you don't have the time, find the time. Try out the shows you haven't given a shot to yet on our network, like Thumbtacks and Screwjobs, Somebody Likes It, or Deliberations of Doom. We think you'll be pleasantly surprised. But seriously, trust me on the subscription. <laughs>